Hey, Mark. Yes? So, in light of the tall guy, I think we should talk about plays in movies. (laughs) Do musicals count? Yes, they absolutely do. (laughs) Okay. I was trying to think of anything with a straight play in a movie, and literally the only thing in movies I think are musicals. Well, what about uh, In the Big Sick? His one-man show. Oh, yes. Oh, I totally forgot about that. I actually thought about that while watching this movie. Oh, that hideous show. <laughs> oh, and I guess if you could out uh, film adaptations of Hamlet, they have that play. play. within a play. Yeah. 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 Um, if we're not doing musicals, there's also the scene in Thor Ragnarok where Matt Damon plays Loki in a play written by Loki about how great Loki is. The best version of that is the beach episode of Avatar The Last Airbender where they go watch a Fire Nation propaganda play about themselves. Alternatively, there's Return of the Jedi where C-3PO puts on a one-man show explaining the Star Wars trilogy for the Ewoks. I haven't seen that one in so long. I did not remember I that exists. I do not exists. remember that either. He's doing the sound effects and everything too. That's a fun scene to watch because that more than any other scene in Return of the Jedi, is the one where you can see Harrison Ford's face being like, what is happening to me? (laughs) (laughs) But there are some great musicals in movies, too. Oh, yeah. Like Manhattan Melodies. (laughs) What a classic. What a classic. Which is (laughs) secretly a wedding. (laughs) The the famous two-song musical that lasts, I think, about five minutes. So, like, I watched The Tall Guy where they put on a musical adaptation of The Elephant Man, and I'm like, I almost feel like they wrote the whole musical. I watch Manhattan Melodies, and I'm like, I don't think there is a whole musical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like they had the idea for making fun of Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals through The Elephant Man before the rest of the movie, almost. That's possible. Yeah, they were like, how can we fit this into a film? But that also is a musical where I'm like, shouldn't be made, but I understand the arc of this musical. Whereas I can look at something like the musical they put on in High School Musical, and I'm like, I have no idea what the plot is. There is is. no plot in that. That is just songs. I just don't think there's anything going on in that. So how many of the songs in High School Musical are songs from the musical within a musical? One, I think. No, two. There's two. Two of them, yeah. Because there's Bob Bob to the the top. Top and Breaking Free. Right. Yes. Wait, Bob to the Top is in the musical? Yes. I think so. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah. I thought it was like an audition song. No, the audition song I thought song the point was the they were auditioning with songs no, from the, the show. No, not something new. Something no. else. That's like the callback face-off. Bop to the top? Versus start I'm blanking new. on the name yeah. right now. Yes, because the classic tradition of casting musicals with pairs that are already established. <laughs> right, naturally. Uh, also, in High School Musical 3, don't they put on a musical about themselves? Yeah, they do, I think. I've only ever seen... I only saw that one once, so I'm a little flimsy on my High School Musical 3 knowledge. I saw the end of it on TV once. Okay. I, I just mean, remember there was a big house. There almost, is a house. I it looked like the that. set of Next to Normal, but mm. it was all the High School Musical characters singing about their own life. Yeah. But it was also meant to be a stage musical. They also do that in Monsters, Inc., where they have the... We're rehearsing a play. Put that thing back where it came from or so happy. And then by the... <laughs> Get that the thing away from me, you guys. <laughs> Put that thing back where it came from or I'll poke myself in the eye. Sure. <laughs> but they take that song that was in Obvious Lie and then make a musical <laughs> about yeah. what happens with that song as a track from it. Uh, that closing credits, like all ensemble together singing that song is oh, amazing. Oh, yeah. So good. And Mike Wazowski's mom is just oh, such yeah. a great character. <laughs> I love that show. That should be the next Pixar short. Just make that. Don't make <laughs> well, more sequels. Well, I think they sequels. did make it well, they as did, like, like a bonus on the DVD. It's like a couple of quick s- snippets of different scenes of it. Yeah. 
But I would watch the whole thing. Okay. Isn't the whole thing just Monsters, Inc., but with songs added to it? Yes. <laughs> if we're going to make musicals of every movie, we might as well do that one. I mean, I'm on board for that. Okay. Um, I just Googled musical and clicked <laughs> news and hoped that it would turn up something. And it turned up something. <laughs> You're never going to believe the title of this musical. This is an article that I'm reading about. It's called... Let's just say it has its its premise something similar to an animated film that came out last summer that was the first film to be shown in Saudi Arabia after they lifted the ban on theaters. Um, Patrick Stewart had a small role in this film, and uh, James Corden and T.J. Miller was in it. It was, again, an animated feature about um, little digital objects. Objects is probably the wrong thing. Digital is the key word. Small digital indicators of meaning. What? Pixels? Not quite pixels. <laughs> no, this musical is called Emoji Land. Oh, oh, God. So I'm just reading from this article now. Yes, every character in the show is an emoji. Yes, there's an actual narrative. All the action is contained within a phone that has just received a software update. And things go awry very quickly. Oh, my God. Gotta love IP that isn't owned by anyone. It's framed by the skull emoji, who is the embodiment of death and therefore more important than anything else. Skull is the one that believes emoji are as insignificant as all the people in the world who go, Emojis? Really? Sounds thrilling. As the update-based chaos continues to unfold around the cast, it's Skull the Nihilist that serves to skewer the show's silliness. At one point, when the antics subside, he asks a poignant question through song. Who is it among us who has really lost their noodle? Isn't it a fact, my friend, you're more or less a doodle? Oh my god. How much are tickets? (laughs) (laughs) Can't find, refuse to discover. Well, on that well note, what if this turns out to be us passing up on seeing Hamilton? I mean, that did happen. <laughs> Every year on Facebook, I get one of those, like, this year in the past, where one of our friends is like, hey, there's this rap musical about Alexander Hamilton. This is when it was still, like, just opening off Broadway. He's like, maybe we should take a bus up and go. And it's me commenting, being like, yeah, sure. And then we didn't. <laughs> And Facebook reminds me every year. <laughs> well, this could be that. If we pass it up, you gotta we gotta jump on it regret before it. it gets big. The article, they also complain about the Emoji movie. They're like, we were working on this before they were. And then they had to what? come out with this piece of crap. Well, actually, it says with this poop emoji. It uses the poop emoji. Oh, how clever. Boo. Yeah. They should make a play just about Skull the Nihilist, which is a great name. <laughs> that is a good name. But it's time for Heart of Podness. If you insist. <laughs> I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. And this is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable or even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week... We're doing a listener suggestion. 1989's The Tall Guy, directed by Mel Smith and written by Richard Curtis. This movie was a request from our listener, Ray Y. And if you have a movie that you think we should do, email us at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Yeah, this movie is a testament to the fact that we will track down your request because this movie does not exist. (laughs) It was very difficult. It was last released on DVD in 2003. If you're able to find it, I say go for it. It's an interesting movie. It's worth checking out. It was entertaining. Yeah, I had a good time. Jeff Goldblum sneezes out both a penis and a vagina it's equal opportunity sneezing uh this is actually our second richard curtis movie because while this was his film debut Mm -hmm. he went on to be a major british screenwriter in the 90s writing things like four weddings and a funeral 
Notting Hill, Bridget Jones's Diary, which we've covered, and then Love Actually. Richard Curtis bringing us some wag tent. Yes, that's Since what he does. 19, what year did Richard Jones come out? 99? 99. <laughs> and actually, it's worth noting, speaking of Bridget Jones, that Helen Fielding, who wrote that novel, is credited as a script consultant on this movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so this is really, for a lot of people, yeah. a coming out into the film industry. It's also the film debut of the director, Mel Smith. He and Curtis and Rowan Atkinson came up together through sketch comedy in the UK, primarily on a show called Not the Nine O'Clock News, but doing a lot of other things as well. Like, after this, Curtis went on to write most of the episodes of the original Mr. Bean series. And you might be asking yourselves... A movie directed by Richard Curtis starring Jeff Goldblum. Written by Richard Curtis. Richard, written by Richard Curtis starring Jeff Goldblum, Emma Thompson, Rowan Atkinson. This is also Emma Thompson's first movie. It's her first movie? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. Her second movie, she appeared four months later in Kenneth Branagh's Henry V, but she had been around British TV for most of the 80s before this, but this is the first movie she appeared in. Wow. But this all-star cast, you might be wondering, why haven't I heard of this movie before? It's because it doesn't exist. Well, I looked up (laughs) online how much money it made, and it's rotten. Theatrically, this movie grossed a total of $500,000. Excuse you. $510,712. That's not even enough to round up to (laughs) $550,000. It only appeared in 41 theaters. Couldn't find out why. (laughs) Yeah. We have no idea why this is the case. Because the movie doesn't exist. (laughs) It's fun. I liked it. I also liked it. Yeah. Some weird comments about the country of Morocco in this movie, (laughs) though. It's got a unique worldview, but it's also got some fun comments about Andrew Lloyd Webber. (laughs) Those I agree with wholeheartedly. It's like they were just like, you know who I hate? Andrew Lloyd Webber. Let's make a movie just knocking him down. (laughs) I was on board. But, Will, we're not alone here today. We are not! No, we have a guest! (laughs) In this movie, Emma Thompson plays a nurse, so of course we brought in our senior hospital correspondent. My sister, Maura. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the show. We, of course, last had you for the big sick. Yeah. To talk about Kumail and Emily's hospital relationship. I feel like a bit of a, like, typecast person. That's exactly what you are. It's fine. I'm happy to be here. That is what you are. (laughs) That's why we brought you back. (laughs) You won't be allowed to talk about any movie unless there's a mention, at least, of doctors and nurses. Okay, I'll look for more. So, actually, before we really immerse ourselves in the movie, can you just give us, like, a quick reaction as a nurse to... How much Kate's experience reflects your own? Um, you know, when she was just really tired and decided totally ditched her date to go home, I was like, I feel that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, there was not that much actual like medical care or whatever in the movie, but what was there was Um, not great. Excuse you, they had CPR. They gave a lot of shots. Oh my gosh, where do I begin with those? The last scene happened during a mass casualty event. What was going on? I don't know. I think I think she said there was like a crash on the highway. Terrorist attack. There was like a pile up on the highway yeah but then also the guy who stuck a vacuum cleaner up his butt yeah. he was also there <laughs> she decided not to treat him i feel and like i kind of get that when she was like you gave up your right to be treated on time when you stuck a vacuum cleaner up your butt have you ever said something like that to a patient no but i feel like sometimes i think it <laughs> she definitely does not have the best bedside manner yeah, definitely not even when he's there getting his shots he'll be trying to talk to her and she just like walks right out of the room and i'm like all right she should should engage with him a little bit more. He's not even really like a patient though. He's just there to get his shot. Yeah, but still you could at least like say hi. 
why. I feel like he's just like, oh, how's your day going? And she's like, fine, and then storms out. She reminds me of, like, the trope of the crisp and efficient nurse in a World War II hospital. Yeah, her outfit also, I was not on board for I was that. wondering about this. So she wears, like... A smock. Yeah, like a dress with and then a belt and a that white, weird A cap. very small white paper hat. <laughs> Which does nothing. I made a note about that. I was like, yeah, that would not keep your hair out of the way. It wouldn't do any sanity. So, like, what's the deal with nurse hats? I have no idea because I don't wear one. Why don't you wear a nurse hat? Do you hate your patients? Do you hate safety? Yeah, I just really don't care where my hair goes, I guess. <laughs> Though That does nothing. I don't know. It's a weird fashion thing, I feel like. According to Wikipedia, the nurse's cap, original purpose was to keep the nurse's hair neatly in place and present a modest appearance. Now that's called, like, putting your hair in a ponytail. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, apparently it was mostly just to make them look respectable, I well, think. Well, I mean, you've got to, because anytime you see a woman outside of the home, you're like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Oh, of course. Why aren't you supervised? I also just feel like wearing a dress while working as a nurse is so impractical. Why? I don't know. I just feel like you're running around. Like, half the time I'm, like, kneeling on the floor to do things. And it just in a dress, it would not be as comfortable. Interesting. So these this is the kind of real-world feedback that we can't bring to the show. No, I'm glad I could help. Apparently, nurses' caps were used... Until about the late 80s when scrubs were adopted. So, like... I didn't realize scrubs were that new. I didn't either. Yeah, it apparently kind of fits in the time frame. Well, fancy that. Huh. I guess they did their homework. Should we get you a nurse cap? I don't think it counts as homework if it's just like, (laughs) this is the real world. (laughs) The only advantage that is listed is that it is a universally recognized symbol of nursing so people can tell if you're a nurse but that's also dangerous if you're wearing it outside of the hospital (laughs) yes uh, the famous hatred of nurses outside of hospitals (laughs) no i just said like ducks people demanding help from you as a nurse oh i have talked to people at work before about how sometimes when we're out if they're i went to the caps parade with some other nurses and we heard like an ambulance going and we were like thank god no one here knows we're nurses (laughs) we do not have to help we can just stand here and be normal people that's really the point of being a nurse oh yeah being able to be like not helping them well one of my friends keeps trying to get me to run as a medical runner in like races and i'm like no when i am not at work i want to just be able to run by myself and not have to stop to help people which sounds really selfish but it's just like "Uh uh-uh this is my time and i I was talking to a doctor about this one time and she was totally on board with me about this i also do not want to have to stop and help people during races which is why i don't go to races Wait, what does the medical runner actually do? Do you run they, along? They just, like, run, and if you see anybody who needs help along the way, you stop to help them. Like, one of my friends did this, and we were running the Cherry Blossom 10-mile run, and some woman fell and, like, broke her nose, and blood was spewing out of it, and he had to stop to help her, and I was like, I'm gonna keep running. I can't stop for this. I always feel like I learn a lot about my sisters doing these podcasts. <laughs> The thing More. is, if someone were really, like, if no one were there to help, sure, I would stop and see if she was okay. But there are people whose job it is to do that. And when I'm running, I want to get done with that as soon as possible. And, you know, if someone else is there to help, let them do it. All right. Since I brought up learning things about my sisters, what is your favorite lie that Fiona has told you? My favorite Fiona lie is when we were kids, she told me that we shared a room and we had, like, a lofted bed. This was a true thing. It's not that she told you that you shared a room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is true. The lie was she told me that there was this 
this secret world inside her bed that had like tennis courts and I don't even know, like a pool. How old were you in this? I want to say like three, but I feel like that's the stock age I use for every story <laughs> from my childhood, so I really don't know. But yeah, she told me there was a secret world with like tennis courts. I didn't even like tennis, but that sounded so thrilling to me and like swimming pools and everything. And she let Will go into this world and she never let me go. And one time when I was younger, I was just like climbed up to her bed and I was looking around for the entrance to this world. <laughs> and I used to ask her why Will was allowed and I wasn't. And I just feel like I never got a good answer. It's probably because they were siders against me. <laughs> were you playing along, Will? I have no recollection. You don't remember this at all? I, I don't, don't remember Fiona saying that. I don't remember being complicit. You were definitely complicit. Laura had this conspiracy theory. It was not a conspiracy. It was true. <laughs> <laughs> that Fiona and I were siders. They were. They Wait. sided with each other on every disagreement we had and left me alone. Maybe it's because you were annoying. Have you considered that? <laughs> and you guys weren't? If you didn't like what we were doing, you would say, I'm going to go tell on you. Run upstairs to where our mom was. Give her a hug and say, I love you. <laughs> then come back downstairs and be like, I just told on you. And we would say, no, you didn't. We followed you no, up and you hid behind the door. you me for the first couple times. But you kept doing it for years. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Our house was a den of lies. <laughs> All right, now that we've done more diving into the childhood experience of the Redmond household, should we start going through the points? Yeah, I mean, if we I must. We probably should. So, Maura, take us to point number one. All right, so point number one, Dexter. Played um, by a very young Jeff Goldblum. Yes. With hideous hair. He has like lots of weird, he's allergic to like everything. And so he's just sneezing all the time. So he goes to the doctor. and Which he's like, reluctant to do because he's afraid of shots. Right. And they're like, you should get these allergy shots. And he's like, no, no, I don't like shots. I, like, I don't want them. And this was one thing I thought was so dumb. The doctors were like, why don't you want the shots? Like, why don't you like them? And I was like, why do you think he doesn't like shots, you idiots? They start trying to psychoanalyze him. They're like, hmm, what's going on with your life that made you have this they phobia They were asking, like, if he has a girlfriend and everything, and I was like, this is so irrelevant. Who is that crazy, weird-haired doctor? He is so weird. It was, so, he was like a, like a psych doctor, right? Dr. Karabikian is played by Hugh Thomas, with uh, hair flying all over the place and big old glasses, and he, according to Wikipedia, is best known for his appearances in several popular Welsh television series. Because they're Welsh, I cannot pronounce their names. <laughs> oh, they're in Welsh? Some of them are. Okay. So anyway, he is like, no, no, I don't want the shots. Oh, he was another Not the Nine O'Clock News guy. Oh, okay. So the director, the writer, Rowan Atkinson, they all came up together and basically their sketch people made a movie together and it was this weird movie. Okay. So Dexter decides, no, no, I don't want these shots. And they're like, okay, there's like a pill version you can do. You can just go get them, do it from home, whatever. And then he walks out. He's about to leave the office and he lays eyes on Emma Thompson for the first time, who is the nurse at the hospital. Well, she's like going in somewhere and she's got an old guy in a wheelchair and she's like hey can you watch him for a second yeah. and she goes in to deal with something and he hangs out with the dude in the wheelchair and this whole time he's stunned by the beauty of Emma Thompson yeah he's smitten so then he's like well shoot if she's the one giving the shots I want to get shots so he goes back into the doctor's office and he's like I changed my mind I'll do the shots I'll come back like every week to get these allergy shots and this is a big shift because Previously, we had seen him at home with his roommate. He has such a sad life before he meets Kate. Home with his roommate, who is living her best life. <laughs> 
there's just great. like a, a naked man walking around. Yeah, at first he thinks he tries to say it's a contractor or something. <laughs> and that's when he sneezes on the guy's penis. Yes, I forgot about that. And he's chatting with his roommate, who always has these different men around having wild sex. Including Bernard in the cupboard at right. one point. And she's like, hey, you used to know a lot of girls. Why don't you have one of them around? And he says, because I never liked any of them. And we get this quick montage of him with all these different women. And I think the real great thing from that montage is we see Jeff Goldblum with all this different hair in yeah. each of the, with each of the girls, including a truly hideous, like, goatee. Yeah. His whole look. It's amazing how much more attractive Jeff Goldblum is almost 20 years later. He has aged well. 30, almost it's 30, like 30 years, years later. later. Oh my gosh. His hair is so gross. At one point, he wears this, like, puffied sleeve shirt under a patterned sweater vest over cargo <laughs> shorts. Every look is so unfortunate. He's got some terrible fashion choices. Which helps to enhance his sad sack identity. Yes. His job, the title of the movie comes from the fact that he plays the tall guy in basically a clown show on the West End where Rowan Atkinson is the star and is a huge jerk. And Jeff Goldblum is his, like, mute buffoon who wanders around on stage. Yeah, and when he talks to his agent about getting a new job, he's only cast as the tall American. That is how people describe him. Because he lives in London, and he is American. So clearly that's unique at the West End. And it also, like, this was originally supposed to go up as a six-week thing, but then everyone loved Rowan Atkinson. And so it's six years later, and this show is still going on. And he's like, well, it's work, so you guess you keep doing it, even though Rowan Atkinson, whose character is Ron Anderson, is a huge jerk. Who is such a name-dropper, the only people he ever talks about knowing are Charles and Diana. <laughs> right. He talks about how the heir is coming to the show. And as Mark pointed out, still the same heir 30 years later. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about, oh, who would have, who would that have been? And I was like, nope, still Charles. <laughs> there was something the other day when the president was in London. Somebody on Twitter was commenting that Queen Elizabeth in her official capacity has met like 25% of the people who served as US president. That's crazy. It's absolutely insane how long she has been queen. Yeah. So anyway... Dexter sees the nurse, Emma Thompson. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? Never mind. I will have the shots. If she's the hot lady who's given the shots, then I will take these shots. Yeah. And it's going to be like a routine of shots. We'll have to come back regularly and get them. Yeah, it's just general allergy shots, I think. This actually kind of reminded me of like a sort of like sketchy situation that happened in nursing school where I was in my mental health clinical and we were at this like psych hospital and there was this teenage boy who wouldn't take his meds. And so they got this girl in my clinical group to be like, hey, you're good looking. Come convince this kid to take his meds. Are you serious? Yes. And we were all like, that does not seem okay. Does that happen a lot? I have no idea. I don't know. It it just happened the one time. But, oh man, we were like, is this really okay? Definitely not. Well, it works with Dexter. He agrees to take the shots. And anytime he goes in, he just kind of like stares gleefully, (laughs) trying to work up the courage to talk to her, but he can't. So he always just kind of like looks at her until she leaves. She doesn't really give him a chance either. No, she's very efficient. In, shot, out. And then the last time he goes in, we get another shot of this crazy-haired doctor who gives him the shots. Oh my gosh, do not trust doctors to administer medications. They never do that. I feel like it is so obvious he doesn't know what he's doing there. Before that happens, though, his roommate suggests that he try to use, like, his West End star power to get with her. And he's like, are you a fan of Ron Anderson? And she says, who? And leaves. (laughs) And so then he's hit the end of the series and he's like, well, I still haven't asked her out, so what am I (laughs) gonna do god about that and so his landlady's like we'll get more shots and so the next time he goes he tells them that he's traveling to morocco and he describes morocco as a 
famous place to pick up little boys, and then he has to make clear that he is not going there to pick up little boys. Which is, like, good clarification to have. Yeah, I don't really know where that comes from. Is that a stereotype? I I have no idea. I'll look it up later and be disgusted by what I find, I'm sure. Laura, is that a known stereotype in medical circles? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, but he's like, I'm going to Africa, so I'm going to need a lot of shots. And she's like, oh, where are you going? And he goes, uh, you know, however long the series takes. And she goes, no, it's not a series. I can give you all five right now. <laughs> and she runs through how many shots it'll be and then ends with just, and polio is now a sugar cube. <laughs> but she has to leave. And so instead of it being her giving the shots, it's the weird doctor with these giant needles. That guy is psycho. I wrote down one of my favorite lines after he gets one of the first shots. He says, God, take my testicles and fry them up with bacon. <laughs> There's a lot of that sort of Richard Curtis throwaway vulgarity. That's always a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of it all. And And wrote down, I still don't understand who this weird doctor (laughs) is in my notes. Well, he also, I noticed he was like, oh, the real experts do it without looking. And he has these huge needles. He's just like bearing into him. And I was like, this is a disaster. Are you good enough to do it without looking? I I do not do it without looking. But also, let me just say, when Emma Thompson was giving him the shots, that was also incorrect. Why? It's a shot. You stick it in. No. Oh, she did it in the wrong part of his arm. She did it way too far down. If it was supposed to be in the muscle, it should have been further up. If it was supposed to be in the fat, it should have been on the backside of his arm. It was incorrect. So does this just like take you out of the movie every time you see that? I just feel like I'm like, man, they should have had someone consult the movie, you know? Is there a needle that the nurses call Big Ben? No. Is there an American equivalent, like Big Ben Franklin? Oh. Or Big Benjamin Franklin Gates? Maybe. I'll look into it. Okay. (laughs) Big Benjamin Franklin Gates. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that, I believe, leads us to point number two. Yes. Uh, so point number two is when he finally decides to ask her out. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm thinking about taking up nursing you want to have dinner so we can discuss it and she's just like no no i get enough of nursing in my job i don't want to talk about it in my time off which i found entertaining oh wait before this i just remembered so he's kind of like morose about not having gotten together with her so he calls up one of these girls from his past yeah oh yeah and at dinner she's like all in she tells him that she's not wearing underwear yes um he excuses himself to go to the bathroom and is like banging his head against the wall, buys a condom. And then as he's walking out of the bathroom, he sees the nurse there. Yeah. Kate Lemon. Or as he calls her, Kate Tampon. She (laughs) says Kate Lemon. It's a horrid name. And he goes, it could be worse. It could be Hitler or Tampon. And he immediately starts trying to leave before she gets back to the bathroom. But then he fails. And the girl that he's with basically introduces herself as all all but married to Dex. Yeah. So she's crazy, this woman he's dating. But then Kate is like, oh, when do you leave for Morocco? And this woman is like, wait, you're going to Morocco? And it really blows his cover there. Which was never very convincing no. cover. <laughs> no. So later they're walking, the, him and his ex-girlfriend, and he kind of just decides, like, nah, and runs to the hospital. Literally runs away from this woman. Which was confusing to me because he just saw her at a restaurant. I don't I understand Kate shifts. So why did he run to the hospital? And then why was she there? I was like, she was just eating dinner, and she had, like, just sat down at the restaurant. I was like, there's no way she's going to be at the hospital. And there she was. And so he finds her, and he asks her out to dinner. She asks him why and now panicking again because Dex has no (laughs) self-confidence. He says that he's thinking about becoming a nurse because it's a family tradition. (laughs) And he wanted to talk to her about it. And so that's when she's like, no, no, I don't want to talk about nursing outside of work. She's like, if you wanted to do it because you thought I was pretty or nice, then I'd be down. But no, I don't want to talk about nursing. And then he's like, oh, wait, yes, you are pretty and nice. Let's go get dinner. You have caught me in my lie again. (laughs) So she agrees. she does a lot. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a great liar. No. For an actor... 
Not so good. Yeah. So she agrees. So they make plans to get dinner the next night. And then he goes to pick her up after work the next day. And she is just really tired. She's like, you know, I really don't want to go out to dinner. I would just fall asleep. Like, I just want to go home. So they walk home. And then when they get to her door, she's like, okay, like, just so you know, just because you bought me dinner, which he didn't, but she's like, doesn't mean I'm going to have sex with you. And he was like, oh, no, 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 of course not. Of course not. And she goes, but I think that's dumb. So let's have sex tomorrow. I'm off. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to have people spend a lot of money on food. And you know that you want to have sex with somebody. Yeah. Like, if you do, just go for it. So this brings us to the next day. And he shows up and she's waiting outside her apartment, right? So they go. No, and- they meet in her apartment. Yeah. They meet inside of her apartment. Okay. So they're inside her apartment. There's like really awkward small talk. And then they just go into one of the weirdest sex scenes I've ever <laughs> seen like in a movie. pretty funny. It's funny in how over the top it is. Her yeah. apartment is left a mess. They're like rolling around There's on top food of old everywhere. Cartons, like toast is getting stuck to them. She's clearly a messy person. She's There's like, like milk cartons under the bed. Teapots on his head. Yeah. Well, she gets a teapot. She gets her hand stuck in a teapot, smashes it on his head. Yeah. They're like having sex against the wall, knocking pictures down. They're actively trying to destroy things yeah. during this sex too, it seems. Yeah. But they're getting food everywhere, which is gross. And it goes on for solid few minutes. Is this when he sneezes on her vagina? Yes. Yeah. And she throws out her comforter. I could not believe this. She has a perfectly nice comforter. He sneezes, says he's allergic to feathers, and she throws it out the window. And causes a car to crash. Yeah. Yeah. Dangerous. So when we got the recommendation for this movie, the email from Ray was like, yeah, this movie has a really funny sex scene, but I had forgotten that when I showed it to my parents. (laughs) So after they have sex... He realizes he's running late for the show, which he is an actor in. And then he runs over there, shows up late. Someone's filling in for him. And then he gets fired. Yeah. He also like, it's a a dance of firing versus quitting because he hates his job. He hates working with Rowan Atkinson because Rowan Atkinson is a jerk. Right. But they basically negotiate it to like, he'll do one more show and that's it. I think because you can't just fire someone and give them no notice, I guess, as part of the contract. Also, they probably like maybe needed time to find somebody to replace him. Especially since they're firing the understudy Charlie too. Yeah. Yeah. So they're getting rid of both of them. They need some time. Right. So they have a like goodbye party where he's toasting (laughs) decks. But Rowan Atkinson drinks all of the champagne. He's the the only one that toasts. Everyone has cups waiting to get a pour, but he just drinks all of it. And that leads us to point number three, right? Yeah. So in point number three, he and Kate are happily dating, spending lots of time together. This is a musical montage and it's amazing. Yeah. He has like lost his job and she's like, yo, you got to find a new job because it's bad enough dating an actor, let alone an unemployed actor. We see a full house in a theater singing, waving their arms together. We see a pair of underwear singing. Like oh a yeah, that underwear. was so weird. But that made me think of like our family. I feel like just with like all the random inanimate objects that Goomp had talked to us over the years. I mean, it, it seemed like Muppet Show kind of stuff yeah yeah because during the musical montage they're moving in together right and and she's she's throwing out all of his horrid clothes specifically she throws out his superman pajamas (laughs) i was a fan of those pajamas so i was struck by those pajamas they're light blue superman pajamas they don't have a cape but they do have the red trunks which has been the subject of much debate in the comics community over the last few years has it really yeah because in 2011 dc comics did a relaunch of all their books with character redesigns and for Superman they got rid of the red trunks Mm -hmm. in part because they were trying to make everything look more serious and like they were sick of people making fun of the wearing underwear on the outside kind of thing and just this past spring a new writer came on to Superman and one of the changes they were making was they brought back the red trunks and it's been a huge deal and everybody's got an opinion on it oh wow and so when I saw his Superman thing I was looking I was like oh where are the red trunks (laughs) you say trunks but they're briefs they are yes but that's in in the comics community they're referred to as the red trunks (laughs) 
that's clearly trying to avoid the fact that they are just red briefs. It's clearly red briefs, right? It goes back to superheroes' origin with, like, circus strongmen. Right. But anyway, so, so anyway. she makes him throw them out. She says that she'll break up with him if she ever sees him wearing them. Yeah, she also makes him look for a new job. Because yeah. she says it's bad enough to date an actor without right. dating an out-of-work actor. Yes, exactly. He gets all these auditions where they let him say, like, one line. And, and he's really bad. Yeah. He has, it's also, like, kind of demoralizing. He shows up at his agent's place for the first time in years because he's been doing Rowan Atkinson's show. And everybody else there is getting scripts for, like, Spielberg projects and, like, <laughs> Arthur David, Miller plays. David Mamet. And he's given, like, a commercial. A tall American. Yeah. But at last, he winds up in an audition for elephant which is a musical about the elephant man and he is clearly doing so badly he is singing off pitch he like can't dance and the director and i think choreographer come up to him and they're like hey we think you are just so like awkward and vulnerable and would be perfect for this role and it's like they're clearly just insulting him but it's also work in the title role i yeah i think one of my favorite parts is when the agent is describing the show she's like it's a musical adaptation of the elephant man called elephant with an Exclamation point, I assume. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Clearly a dig at Oliver. Also Oklahoma. And okay. Oklahoma. I love anytime you add an exclamation point. Like, even Jeopardy officially has an exclamation point at the yeah. end of it. And so, one of the real delights that we get in this movie is we get to see a good chunk of this musical. Oh my god, it's terrible. Between rehearsals and the opening night scene where you see the show, you get a pretty solid idea of what the whole play is like. I love the closing number, which ends with the refrain, Somewhere out in heaven, <laughs> there's an angel with big ears. Yeah. Yeah, because apparently the writer of this musical doesn't understand how elephantitis actually works, <laughs> and he has a trunk and big ears through the entire show. It's so obviously a parody of the big Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals of the 80s, where like there's kind of a cat's routine that involves a <laughs> disco ball and a bunch of people in elephant suits dancing, dancing around. around. Yeah. They actually specifically, when they're talking about the making of Elephant, he's like, that sounds like a bad idea. And his agent goes, well, people said Jesus Christ Superstar was a mistake. And he goes, it was a mistake. And she said, yes, but nonetheless. <laughs> it's just this show, I just feel so bad for him. Every song is just like, he's hideous. He's the dumbest man in the universe. Take a deep breath. Prepare for the worst. The ugliest man in the But he is wearing, like, pretty elaborate prosthetics. He is, he is. So it's not just, like, his normal face. But it's a little bit his normal <laughs> face. Yeah. So As opposed to, like, when Bradley Cooper played the Elephant Man. Nobody thought that they were insulting Bradley Cooper. Right. So as part of this, though, you see the rehearsals. And what's more important for the romance part, there's another actor in the play who is very clearly flirting with Jeff Goldblum. The minute she showed up, I was like, oh no, this is no good. The lead actress who's telling him that she's complimenting on him on his work as the tall guy in Rowan Atkinson's show and on his work in The Elephant Man. And then like right away, she asks if he's married. Right. And she has Bernadette Peters hair. Yeah, she does. (laughs) 80s Bernadette Peters hair. Yeah. And so I'm guessing it's like the last rehearsal or something. The director is like, you guys are sloppy, but it's amazing. It brings out this cart full of alcohol, like hundreds. With little elephants on it. (laughs) 
hundreds of dollars worth of alcohol in this cart. And then they all get super drunk, and the actress says, Dexter King, you realize I'm falling in love with you. And he says, that's probably not a good idea. And she says, it's because you've got a girlfriend? He goes, yeah. And she says, well, I've got a husband. And then they have sex on a pile of furs in front of a terribly taxidermied bear. Bear, yeah. And who among us has not done that? <laughs> The bear is horrifying. It really is. I assume that it's for the show, like, the circus that the elephant man is working at. They've also got, like, bad taxidermy. That actually tracks. I didn't even think of that. I just thought it was, like, a back storage room, but or that maybe makes sense. it's just a thing that the producer owns. Maybe. Yeah. But this brings us to point number four, opening night of the play. By the way, a note on this play, shout out to having a race-blind ensemble. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Unremarked upon. Just... I mean, that's the only people of color in this movie are yes. in the play, but they are there. Singing so... and dancing about the elephant man. <laughs> so then it's opening night of the show, and Kate's been, like, looking forward to it. I feel like she's so excited to see him, but also, like, nervous about the after party, whatever. And when she is watching him in this terrible show, this is what reminded me of the one-man show in The Big Sick. Because she's watching it just, like, reading the program, like, eating some snacks snacks during it like she takes the ambulance to get there in time yeah that was interesting but it was like she's clearly not into this show and it just made me think of emily having to watch kumail's show about pakistan she goes to see it twice his true his landlady on the other hand is in full leopard print and she is eating it up with a spoon she brought little mini binoculars I loved watching her watch it with her, like, (laughs) young, handsome date. Yeah. And so they are at the after party saying hi to people. A note on this after party, our not Andrew Lloyd Webber character is talking about his next project, which is going to be a musical adaptation of Richard III called Dirty Dick. With a big hit going to be, I've got a hunch I'm going to be king. So I really back. want to watch that. I really want to watch it. I want to, like, watch it in a big theater where I can also yell at it. <laughs> the way we were supposed to watch Peter Rabbit. Well, should we write, I've got a hunch I'm going to be king? He yeah. started writing or it. If any of you write us a song, I've got a hunch I'm going to be king, we will perform it on the show. Um, so they get back from opening night. And Kate immediately starts packing a case. Yeah. And he's like, what's going on? And she goes, you're having an affair with one of the actresses. And he is surprised that she knows. She's like, don't even try and deny it. Like, I know you are. And he's like, what? How do you know? And she like lists all these things. Like he, anytime he mentioned her name, he would like pause as if he like was feeling guilty about or like trying to think to make sure he didn't say something he shouldn't yeah and then at the party he was going around like pouring drinks for people and when he poured her one she like didn't even smile or say thank you and she was like you would only not like even say thank you to someone for pouring your drink if you know them very well so she picked up on all these little clues and so he tries to say it's over that it's not anything he cares about yeah he said it meant nothing and she goes well clearly while you were like sleeping with her i meant nothing and she says like i'm too good to be worth nothing i was like you go i was so proud of her in this she's great yeah and so then we get this nice era of dex just moping around town every time he like turns on the radio it's some like breakup song or (laughs) song about cheating or something he gets drunk on a park bench with charlie his understudy and his blind neighbor blind neighbor who's allergic to his seeing eye dog (laughs) (laughs) such a great touch And eventually he's in his dressing room getting ready for a performance. He's in his prosthetics. In his prosthetics and he looks at the TV and there's some comedy awards. And Rowan Atkinson wins an award and guess who's his date? Kate. (gasps) 
I was shook when I saw that. I was not expecting it. You'd also been watching this movie for about a year by then. <laughs> I really so you been. were really invested in these say, relationships. I feel like I've lived a thousand lives since I started watching this movie. <laughs> or I had some buffering issues. <laughs> it took so long to load. And I also never had like a solid chunk of time to watch it. So I'd watch like six minutes here, 12 minutes there. <laughs> <laughs> Truly the way movies are meant to be watched. <laughs> I felt like I was watching a TV show instead of a movie with like little bits here and there. But like an adult swim TV show where the episodes are <laughs> 10 minutes long. <laughs> It took me a half hour to watch two minutes of this movie. So anyway, Dex sees this date, and it's a broadcast from the night before. So he leaves the theater in his elephant makeup and a cape. He gets Charlie, his old friend from Rowan Atkinson's show, to go on in his place. Charlie's like, I can barely speak English because he's an immigrant. And Dex is like, it doesn't matter. As long as you can grunt, you can basically do this role. (laughs) And he rushes to the hospital. Well, no, first he rushes to... Rowan Atkinson's theater. Ties him up and... Steals his keys. Steals his keys, locks him in his dressing room. Demands to know what's going on with Kate. And Rowan Atkinson is like, you can have her, I don't care. Like, I took her out for a fancy dinner and basically, like, I didn't even have sex with her. Yeah, because she only does it on the first date if she knows she likes the person. Right. And she didn't like Ron. Yeah. So he then speeds to the hospital. He steals Rowan Atkinson's car. He steals Rowan Atkinson's car, speeds to the hospital, is pulled over by the cops, and he's like, I have to get to the hospital. And he's wearing his prosthetics, so the cops are like... At first they're like, do you know how fast you're going? Because they keep trying to get him to pull over and he won't. And then he's like, I need to get to the hospital. And the cops are like, oh my god, you do. He's got like a little trunk. He's got one giant ear, like bulbs sticking out of his head. (laughs) Like, oh my god. And they give him a police escort to there's hospital. like 10 cops when he shows up <laughs> in the Motorcycles hospital. and cars. Which is so unnecessary. So he gets there. Meanwhile, he's clearly been taking his prosthetics off as he goes. So he comes out of the car basically fine. Yeah. And runs into the hospital, which is our fifth point. Yeah, so at this point, he goes to see her at the hospital, and there was clearly some, like, big emergency going on. I think there was a car crash on the highway or something. There's all they these patients. They mentioned it once, barely. Yeah, there's all these patients who, like, need attending to, and he goes up to Kate and is like, hey, I want you back. Have dinner with me. Whatever. And let me just say, if someone I was dating ever showed up at work to just, like chat about like getting back together or anything I'd be so mad especially because she's having such a busy shift and I'd be like I don't need to deal with you right now and at first she does just call him adulterer and walk away yeah and he still has his ear on and she points that out and so eventually yeah, you should get that checked out yeah so eventually he just walks back to like the OR area I think it's the ER and so there's just like beds in the hallway and there's like piles of bodies yeah around like clearly they're they're very busy right now yeah meanwhile he does he's- not need to be wasting time talking to him he's chasing her telling her he wants her desperately he loves her he gives this whole speech about how he's a tall american who plays sidekicks and circus freaks and basically the only success he's had is being with her yeah but it's a nice while... first version of the richard curtis speech that we're going to see so many times over the course of his career <laughs> but while they're chatting one of the patients their heart stops beating and so the two of them run over one of the patients she, who has been listening to all this she leaps on top of him and starts doing cpr which first of all that cpr would do nothing she was not doing deep enough compression i noticed that and maybe they too. just didn't want maybe they were like this is a real person who's not actually in cardiac arrest we don't want to break his ribs but i'm sorry just like move the view like do it on a man 
mannequin and don't show his face. Her CPR was wimpy. And also, you don't jump on top of the body. You do it from the side. And then she, like, jumps off to the side. He jumps on top. They're alternating doing, like, one breath, one compression, one breath, one compression. And I was like, this man is not gonna make it. <laughs> but he also, does! Because you're supposed to do, like, way more compressions than breaths. And then he is revived in, like, less than 30 seconds. And is which fine. Which is also so unrealistic. And he's also fine after that. Yeah, this is so, so unrealistic. And then, but my favorite part- And he sits up and he's like, what did you say? Yeah, he's so invested in their conversation about their relationship. And then everybody else in the ER is just like, like, gathers around in a circle. Like, are you going to take him back? And ultimately she agrees to have dinner with him on the condition that they have sex at the end. And they kiss and everyone in the hospital applauds. Yeah. And And so what I actually wanted to know, Maura, is, is it common for people in the hospital to gather and applaud one another's (laughs) romantic achievements? No, but while I was watching this, I was like, I could see people being invested. Or if I were a patient in the hospital and so this was happening, I would definitely be invested in their love life. Oh, for sure. Especially if your stories aren't on the TV because yeah. it's nighttime. Yeah. yeah. Gotta get that soap opera drama somewhere. <laughs> I think that about does it, That's though. That's movie. the end of the movie. I think yeah. so. What do you think? Do you guys think that the romance in this movie is believable? Well, I think kind she of. agrees to get, like, she agrees to get back together with him, like, way too easily. I feel like it doesn't yeah. take any convincing. He's just like, have dinner with me. And she's like, calls him an adulterer. And then she's like, all right, I'll have dinner with you. Like, we can get back together. And I just feel like after him cheating on her, like... It seemed like it should take her a little more time. I would say that was also the biggest thing for me, too. I would find it more believable if she just agreed to dinner. Yeah. If she was just like, fine, I will have one dinner with right, you. Right, and like, but, see how it goes. Yeah, yeah, adding the, like, we have to have sex part pushed it too far for me. And then, like, right after that conversation, they're just happily smiling and everything. And the, I was just like, this is just, I just feel like they wouldn't be this, like, back to normal that soon. Yeah. So where would you rate it on our 10-point scale where 0 is totally unbelievable, but 10 is like, yes, of course! Five? I'd go as six. I think five or six is fair. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like it is pretty believable. A lot of it is, yeah. Yeah. I like how pathetic he is when he's trying to figure out how to ask her out. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I'll just get more shots. Um, on the other hand, though, do you think that Dex and Kate are dateable? Not with that hair. Yeah, I think <laughs> On <he's>... him. <laughs> her hair is... Flawless. Not with that hair, not with that hat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think he's like a little too pathetic. Her hat is like shaped like almost like those wraparound sunglasses, but if they didn't have the arms, yeah. Yeah, If you took like wraparound sunglasses made of paper and they didn't have the arms, it would look like that. I'd say she's probably dateable, though. Yeah, she's cool. She needs some bedside manner help, but she seems like a good time. Yeah. So if you had to date somebody in the movie, would it be Kate or would it be somebody else? I think for me it would be Kate. I was trying to think about, like, some of the side characters, and they're just all so crazy. I don't think I would want to date any of them. Like, that psycho doctor or, like, his roommate. Like, they're just all so weird. What about the blind guy who's allergic to his dog? Uh, He needs to find, like, a hypoallergenic dog or something. Like, he would be too much of a handful, I think. Or Charlie? I just don't know that I even know enough about Charlie. You don't want to date Charlie. (laughs) No. Maybe the director of Elephant. (laughs) He's too much. I think he would drive me nuts. Also, if he's Andrew Lloyd Webber, we do not agree politically. (laughs) That is also true. Andrew Lloyd Webber is an actual member of the House of Lords. I did know that. And he rarely goes, but sometimes he goes to vote to not give more services to poor people. Oh my god. That's like the only thing that brings him in. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so I don't want to be with Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, I think I would date Kate. Yeah, she's the right answer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Charlie is also very nice. He's nice. I actually think I would date the roommate if Charlie's she was kind willing of a to, like, settle. I don't think she would. No, she would I think would. you've got a, it's like a catcher block situation. You're part of the rotation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we think that Dex and Kate would stay together? 
I think they could. I think there's a chance. Yeah. It's not a definite no, but it's not a definite yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like things were really going pretty well until he cheated on her. And so yeah. I could see, like, if she was able to get over that, which she clearly is, like, that they could sustain it. Yeah, and I will say I like that this is not a movie that's like, and now we're together forever. Where even though they do become a little more definitive than we might believe, it's still not like, this is for sure a thing. Right. Clearly they both know it'll be work. Which yeah. I appreciated. Yeah. All right. I think that does it, though, for this movie. Do you guys have any dating advice? We'll get to that. Oh, okay. That's the last thing, Wow, Maura. I'm sorry. That's the kind of thing you would say if you haven't been listening to this show. <laughs> yeah, Mora. No, I have listened, and that's why I was like, why haven't you talked about the dating advice it's yet? It's at the end. We gotta say, first of all, looking towards next week, we're gonna do a movie in honor of Mark. Yeah, so at the very beginning of September, my sister is gonna get married. Gross. And when she gets married, I will be her maid of honor. So in honor gonna, is of that going to be a maid of honor? M-A-D-E? Actually, my parents call it the man of honor. That's not what Patrick Dempsey called it. Yeah. <laughs> in honor of that, we will be doing maid of honor starring Patrick Dempsey and someone else who I can't remember. Patrick Dempsey is the only name above the title, so that's the only one we have to know. <laughs> is he really? Yeah. Oh, wow. He was the selling point. He's the lead of the movie. He is. So we'll be doing that. And of course, until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Heart of Podness. And you can email us questions or movie suggestions at heartofpodness at gmail.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the show and help other people find it. Last question, Mora. Yeah, Mora. Yes. What is the best piece of dating advice you got from this show? Um, or do you want us to wait until longer? Oh, you know, you want to wait? That's fine, too. No, I want you to answer the question. Well, I was just thinking, do not show up at someone's place of work to ask them out. But it seems to work out for him. But I personally think that is not a great tactic. Interesting. <laughs> you seem to be giving advice that runs counter to the evidence. I am. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Well, to me, it sounds like Moore is giving her personal dating advice, not dating advice from the movie, which is the question we asked. All right, dating advice from the movie is apparently show up at the ER during a big emergency and you will get what you want. Got a 100% success rate. <laughs> All right, let me think of what I think. Cut that out. Absolutely Don't. not. While Mark is thinking of that, I want to talk about the fact that clearly the best piece of dating advice is to just find out whatever it is that the person does for a living. Keep going to that place, but not talk to them. See, more of that's where you're getting tripped up, is that it's not until the end that he goes and talks to her. Most of the time, he's just going and, for example, getting shots. True. If somebody worked at a grocery store, you could go and, like, buy one apple every week. <laughs> it's like, find an innocuous way to keep and getting And drag in there. it out. Yeah. Yeah. My advice is just do whatever his landlady's doing because it seems to work for her. <laughs> that is working That's out true. for her. She That's has very true. A different man or different Multiple. men every she, time. She has four in her bed with her during the musical montage. Yeah, I forgot about that. And they're all having a great time. Yeah, everyone's very happy. Yeah. And they all seem like nice dudes. Yeah, they're she's weird. doing great. There you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay, so between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye! Bye. Put that thing back where it came from. Oh, so help me. So help me. So help me get by. Put that thing back where it came from. Oh, so help me. So help me. I just gotta cry. And so...